We are back for another episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. Hopefully everyone is doing well. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast, whether you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms or whether you're watching us over on YouTube. Of course, a great way to show your support for the program, uh, subscribing to the, the channels, whether it's on the podcast channel or over on YouTube. And be sure to hit that thumbs up, rate, review. We appreciate everyone that takes this in this program each and every week. We've got a ton to talk about going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The Association Boxing Commission Combative Sports had their annual meeting. I got some thoughts about what took place last week in Las Vegas. Also, Daniel brought a, an interesting uh, topic idea to the table this week about could we see what's going on in college football landscape in relation to the mixed martial arts landscape. Plus, we'll talk about what happened last weekend in combat sports and get you ready for this weekend's mixed martial arts action. Daniel, uh, happy Tuesday morning here. Man, how was your weekend, man? Man, I had a great weekend. Went to Laredo to wrestle. Had my birthday, so now I'm 28 years old. Ate plenty of good food. Um, the only downside was me and my girlfriend watched a movie on demand called Bo is Afraid. And I got to be honest with you, that movie literally made me angry. It was just like nonstop anxiety. And the movie didn't give me any sense of satisfaction. It was like one of those art movies where it was like the director is an artist and uh, you're going to experience this movie. But it was three hours long. So other than that, it was a great birthday. Uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it's good to be, uh, you know, one year older. Last time I talked to you, I was 27. Now I'm 28, big dog. So what was on the birthday meal? Oh, man. Well, obviously, in the afternoon, you already know what I ate. I ate some chicken wings. Duh. But the the special meal was brunch. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, down in the Rio Grande Valley, we don't have a lot of, like, like uh, bougie places. But there's this one spot that, uh, like, a Michelin star chef opened up. So we ate brunch, and I had eggs Benedict, and obviously, it was baller. I mean, the dude is amazing, and all of our dishes were dope. So I went to this little brunch spot that a, a Michelin star chef cooked at, and uh, it was it was a great day, man. I uh, I enjoyed it so much. So when you say you went to brunch, you know where my mind goes to. I mean, do we have well, was it bottomless mimosas, bottomless Bloody Marys? I had a mimosa. I had a mimosa, bro, but. Uh, I, I don't know why I didn't do more than one. I guess I was just sipping it. Maybe it was because I was sitting in front of my grandmother. I think that will do it. I think that will keep you from, you know, unleashing the dog. But I did have a mimosa, and I actually regretted not airing up, not ordering a Bloody Mary because I like Bloody Marys way more than mimosas. Yes. But I think I just, you know, you know, sometimes you take a snap under center and you make a pass and you throw an interception, you know. And I think I read the wrong coverage when I made the order. <laughs> And I threw, I threw an interception to start off on birthday and uh, never recovered. But uh, overall, it was, it was fun. Yeah, I, I am definitely much more of a, a Bloody Mary person. There, there's a, When I go up to Tallahassee, there, there's a spot I go to, uh, the Edson. It's a, they have an amazing brunch and uh, you know, definitely get that Bloody Mary to go along with it. But yeah, man, I had a good weekend. So, you know, for people who know me, they know me. Uh, I'm not a country music guy. Went to a country music show uh, on Saturday here at Raymond James Team. My, my last weekend before uh, the NFL broadcasting uh, season kicks off for me. And, uh, you know, I, I one thing I will say is, Chris Stapleton, that boy can play. So that's who you went to go see? How how it was he was he, was uh, he, he was the co-main, I guess you would say in MMA terms, he was the co-main event. 
Um, the the headliner was George Strait, which we we probably left halfway through that. But uh, Chris Stapleton, that bo- that boy can play. You're telling me y'all left halfway through George Strait? We might have gone to another bar. Y'all left halfway through like the greatest country singer of all time. We did. Y'all, we did. This guy's in the the guys in the back nine, and y'all are like, hold, chill out. I need to go drink some more. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, look, you know this. Oh you go to the God. stadium, man. It is not cheap to drink. I know. That is true. And also, I'm sure it's hard to get out, so you beat the crowd. I mean, not the worst strategy in the world. I, I still am judging you for leaving halfway <laughs> through a George Strait concert. I still, I feel like that. that's just, that's crazy. But at least you did see a whole Chris Stapleton concert. Um, yeah, that, that, that dude, that 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 boy can play, man. He 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 uh he did a cover of Freebird that was really good, man. Man, had a had a good time in concert. And then Sunday just was a, a relaxing day for me, and got back to the work grind yesterday. And this is it's a busy week for me of uh you know first week of NFL preseason. So I'm um, I'm home this weekend, but of course next weekend I'll be up there uh, in uh, New York, New Jersey area. So looking forward to that. Going to Yankees, Red Sox next Friday night. So really looking forward to that. But uh, you know where I want to start talking about our uh, mixed market martial arts and combat sports this week is the ABC had their annual meeting last week and there were some things that kind of came out of this meeting and the first thing I want to bring up and people may have seen this tweet and people will see it up here on the screen and it was from uh, I quote tweeted Tony Cummings and Tony Cummings had a tweet uh, that he screenshotted the Bellator MMA Ryzen 2 card from the mixed martial arts uh, registry which knows the fact of uh, it was uh, organized by the Mohegan Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations and, and goes through all that. And, uh, and Tony tweets, he says, I've taken a lot of criticism for sanctioning one in the last couple of years, yet certain commissions sanction other rule sets allowing kicks to the head to a ground opponent like the one below. Stay tuned for their slides. And I wrote, and I quote a tweet, I said, the Mohegan Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations only regulated the Bellator portion of the event. They did not regulate the Ryzen portion of the event. And, of course, you know, Tony Cummings did not want to respond to that, which is, and this is a executive director that, look, I, I, I want to try to praise this guy at some point, even though I feel like every time I talk about him, it's me railing on him, but it's like, if you're going to put something out there, you got to be factual about it. And it's just not factual to know that Ryzen regulates their own events. Bellator brings in Mike Mazzulli to regulate their events internationally. Now, this is the second time over the past couple of weeks that Tony Cummings has taken a shot at, to me, when I talk about the OGs of regulation of mixed martial arts that have been around this industry for a long time. He took a shot at Mark Ratner a couple of weeks ago, who is the OG of regulatory side in relation to the UFC self-regulating events, which is regulated by Mark Ratner, who, like I said, is the OG of this sport. And it's one of these things of I, I sit back and, and I'll use an Arahawani line. If you're going to come at the king, you better not miss. And this is a miss by Tony Cummings because you're putting fake news out there. Yeah, if you have this huge point and it's just not accurate, then what are we doing here? If it, you, The whole tweet is completely invalid. Mm-hmm. It just makes no sense. You don't have your ducks in a row. You're criticizing something that didn't happen. You know, 
It's like me getting pissed off at you for you calling me ugly. You didn't do it. Even if I said you did, it still didn't happen. I mean, you might call me ugly. I don't know what you do after the podcast is over. If you're talking to Pete on your podcast, and be like, "Damn, Daniel's ugly." I actually have a, I actually have a bunch. Of I, I'm just, I'm face. just gonna throw this out there, Daniel. I've never said anything about your attractiveness. Thanks. Well, hey, man. You know that that's almost another way of you calling me ugly, actually. Uh, <laughs> but that's the whole point. That's the whole point that I'm making is it just didn't happen. It, the rising portion with those rule sets were not sanctioned by Mohegan Sun. Tony said they were and was using it as a point to to get his point across. He was just dead wrong, and I think it's really important that we focus on like things being factual, things being right. Or else we're going to live in a crazy world where people just say things for shits and giggles. I think it's good to have people who want to progress this sport forward. And and I do think that Tony is trying to do that. But I think it's like to me, there has to be a method to the madness. There has to be a method to do what you do. And the fact is, he was commission shopped by one championships and he did what one championship wanted to do. I have been told over the last 24 hours, one championship has been trying to go to other states in the United States and trying to do the same thing they did in Colorado. Three states that I have been informed have already told one championship, if you come to our state, you will do your event under the unified rules of MMA. That is the state of Florida, the state of Georgia, and the state of Massachusetts. And I'm sure one championship is going to continue to go down this road. I've also been told that Ryzen is looking to do an event in Hawaii. Now, here's the difference. Ryzen and Hawaii has told them, if you want to do an event here, it's under the unified rules of MMA, which this is what Hawaii did back in 2019 to one championship when one championship wanted to do an event there. And like, and we, in relation to the whole commission shopping thing that I'll bring up, is I'll bring up Power Slap. And look, I'm not a Power Slap guy. They've got an event tomorrow night. You want to watch it on Rumble. I, I feel like we are a minority in the MMA podcast community where we can sit here and say, we don't care for Power Slap, but we understand there's an audience out there for it. And, and I just, sometimes I don't understand why people in our, you know, the, the content creation community and mixed martial arts sometimes just can't understand that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an audience for it, for sure. You know, as an MMA fan, it can be frustrating to see it promoted so heavily, mm-hmm. for sure. It, it's an opportunity cost. They could be promoting Vicente Luque, you know, and Rafael Dos Anjos. I would Ooh, like to see oh, we get, oh, bro, yeah. we... I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but Luque, a year ago, had brain hemorrhage. And now he's fighting a year later. I mean, now he got cleared by the commission. We'll talk about that later. But, man, that's that's another subject. Yeah, that is a hell of a point that we need to dig into. But I think that, honestly, is my most frustrating part about Power Slap. But there's an audience. There's an audience. People want to see it. People want to see it. I mean, I do struggle with the idea that it's regulated. Not, not in terms of, like, you know, I, I just I, I struggle with the idea that, like, it's a sport that the commissions are like, hell yeah, let's go. So you're just going to stand there and let them hit you. Like, that's my whole point is I don't get it. But I also recognize that like a lot of people do watch it on, on social media. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how many people pay money to watch it. 
how many people pay for a pay-per-view or a ticket to sit there and just watch power slaps. But it's going to do well on socials. People will click on it. People will watch it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do recognize there's an audience for Power Slap, even though I may not be a part of that audience. So Hunter Campbell, of course, one of the men behind, obviously, the UFC, but also behind Power Slap, he spoke to the ABC last week. And it's one of those things that I would see tweets, and not just over the last week, but over the past couple weeks. And I would sit there and say is, if you have a problem with Hunter Campbell, Dana White, and everyone involved in Power Slap, going out and talking to commissions about regulating them and you have your issue with power slap how do you not have an issue with one championship commission shopping state athletic agency that that to me is it's like i understand we all have agendas we all have agendas let's let's not kid ourselves here but like sometimes i look at some of these people that are clearly in support of one thing or another and i go if you have an issue with what Power Slap is trying to do to get regulated in other states, you should have a major issue with international promotions coming to the United States and trying to commission shop. Yeah, it's essentially the same thing. The criticism should be the same, right? In both instances, it's different. It's things that aren't legal across the board in, in the country that – certain promotions are trying to get run in this country and they're looking for places to do it and they're both doing the same thing and they're both worthy of criticism i think maybe when you look at why people aren't criticizing one fc as opposed to power slap is just you know people just care about the ufc and power slap a lot more than one fc you know people may have vendettas against the ufc and power slap versus people may not even know who the champions are of one fc right like like maybe that's why is that people just already have their opinions, already want to fire off their takes and already want to criticize the UFC and, and, and power slap and just don't think about one FC. Maybe that's the reason why, or maybe they just choose not to, but it is similar things that these two people are doing commission shopping, mm -hmm. looking for yeah. places to run their sport. Both places is completely wrong. I mean, the other major difference is one is already like within the framework of a sport that we broadly accept in this country in mixed martial arts with the added rules that have been deemed too dangerous to, to happen under the unified rules versus an entirely new sport that, again, I think is pretty absurd. Um, but obviously for Hunter Campbell, it's a part of his paycheck to get that bad boy cleared. Right. And and what I'm interested in is, is there are there people other than Dana White? There has to be uh, within the, the brass there that really wants to make this succeed. Like, who are the people in the boardroom when they when they when they get when they settle down? They're like, all right, power slap is going to take over the world. Like, is Emmanuel really on board about power slap? Because I feel like it's just um, with power slap, they envision it as like the next content creator for the brand you know this is going to be the next mma and we're going to get on the forefront we're going to go all you know we're going to promote this like hell and we're going to turn this into another sport that gets us money i just i don't see it really getting there i i don't know how you can connect with people through power slap i don't i feel like it's hard to tell a story like that yeah, I mean, look, I I feel that Power Slap is always kind of going to be an online product. I mean, I I, don't, I just I would be surprised if you would see Power Slap on a 
an ESPN type channel. I just I just don't think it would happen. Now the other thing that I thought was interesting. I, I, I gotta say this. I gotta go say this. MMA, being an MMA fan, being a fan of baseball, football, boxing, it's like a relationship, man. You, you, you see it every day. Power, you know, you know these people, you follow the storylines. Power slap is like a one-night stand. You just hey. see her one time and you forget about who you saw, who you were with. You know, Look, that's how I would describe it. Bro, you want to watch power slap or do you want to watch Ramirez just knock the <laughs> F out of Anderson? I, I mean, you talk about knockout of the weekend. It didn't happen in combat sports. It happened on the baseball diamond. Where was Forrest Griffin? Was he not behind <laughs> him getting ready to pick him up as he was falling down? Dude, not often do you see somebody get straight up dropped. Dude, I don't, I don't know if you saw the Terry Francona po- uh, press conference after the game, and he gets asked about it, and you can just tell he wants to give his honest opinion, but he is choosing his words so nicely. Like it's like, bro, Anderson got knocked the f out. One punch, knockout. Like I, I look. I've watched baseball all my life. I can't recall just seeing two dudes stand up and square up like at second base. I've never, I I feel like I've never seen that happen. Well, the funny thing is I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and he did point out that he's like the best place to have a fight is, is that situation running to second base. He says, for some reason, some of the best fights in baseball have happened in that situation, like Odor and Batista. And maybe it's one of those things where both guys have enough distance and, and space to really square up and throw a couple good ones versus running to the mound if you're the catcher. But, yeah, I think of Odor and Batista when I think of this fight, except for this one had the finish. This one had a knockout. Someone got caught on the button. Poor Tim Anderson, dude. That sucks. I mean, that's embarrassing. And baseball is the one sport where I feel like losing a fight really sticks with you. It really sticks with you. I feel like it's stuck with Robin Ventura. And, and it's just, I don't know. It's just fun. It was it was an awesome fight. And it was obviously the best fight of the whole weekend. I remember uh, at one point in my life, my dad, we were watching baseball. And he goes, he goes, so I got this question. When the guy charges a pitcher's mount, why does he not take the bat with him? He might get charged with manslaughter, but it's a hell of a question. It's a hell could of a you question. could you imagine being a pitcher and all of a sudden a dude comes, starts chasing you with a bat in his hand? Dude, I'm running the other way. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm no longer a tough guy. I'm trying to preserve my brain. That is, it's uh, a good point. I will say that person would probably be uh, kicked out of the sport of baseball forever. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, that is a hell of a point. Now, the final thing I would mention about the ABC meeting, and I thought this was kind of interesting, and I saw Eric McGrathen, um, um put this tweet out, and this is, of course, part of the Athletes Voice Committee where Eric tweet says, Fighters deserve qualified managers. There is no union in boxing or MMA, but there is no reason to ignore the best oversight practices from unionized sports. Here are the standards the Athletes Voice Committee asked the ABC to adopt. So uh, people can see this up on the screen. There was eight points in terms of this. And point number one was the ABC recognized that the athlete-manager relationship is a fiduciary relationship. Managers owe specific, specific obligations to athletes such as loyalty, good faith, sincerity, full disclosure, abstaining from self-dealing, operating with rigorous integrity and exercise reasonable care and all required skill to promote the athlete's interest. Managers who violate fiduciary responsibilities may be held financially accountable. 
for all losses caused by a principal due to the violation to the extent that a manager represents multiple athletes they cannot do in circumstances that will conflict with their existing fiduciary relationship to athletes that are already represented two managers should be licensed in all jurisdictions three to be licensed managers must pass a criminal records check for uh, appreciating the fiduciary nature of the relationship athletes have the right to terminate a management contract at will this is not intended to prevent a manager to charge fees for past services fairly rendered however provides freedom of movement for athletes to move on to managers of their choice at any time in their career six to be licensed managers must pass a nodule certification course approved by the abc six manager compensation for fight person negotiations should be a subject to a hard percentage cap a cap of 15 percent is proposed seven athlete commissions should have the power to oversee manager fire contracts and void contracts that do not comply with these minimum standards to give athletes a timely and inexpensive remedy instead of conventional litigation and eight the final thing says an entity acting as a manager cannot avoid these obligations by calling themselves an advisor or any other cinnamon words for manager. These minimum standards will apply to anyone representing a regulated combat sports athlete to profit in negotiations with promoters. Now, Daniel, when I saw this, I was like, okay, this is interesting, but it's also one of these things in the sport of combat sports that I just don't think is realistic. Yes. It seems like, the fighters are really at like a standstill with like the things that they are going to get that other athletes do get. I mean, when you really look back at mixed martial arts in the past few years, what have been the advancements in things that are good for fighters? Do you know what have, what have been the big advancements? Oh man, that's a good standard question. <laughs> So I mean, just, I, I, if I was uh, from the regulatory side, even though I think fighters have not taken advantage of it, I, I believe that there are regulators who are actively seeking fighters to have a voice in the sport. I mean, I yeah. think that that may be from a regulatory side. I mean, you know, I mean, that may be the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And maybe from a private business standpoint, maybe the Performance Institute is, is a really cool thing yeah. for UFC fighters. But there aren't a whole lot of things that are going well for fighters and fighters alone. And this is another one that I think would greatly benefit fighters just to make sure they get screwed less often than they do. You know, people still do get screwed by managers and agents in other professional sports where there are standards. It just happens less than when there are no standards. Whenever it's a much easier degree of entry to become a manager it's much easier for someone that doesn't know what they're doing to either screw you intentionally or more likely mm-hmm. unintentionally someone can do can mess can can mess with your money mess with your future and maybe they have all the best intentions in the world they just may not have the background to do you justice the fighters do deserve justice but moving back to my original point and kind of how you toss it to me it's not something I envision happening because I don't necessarily see that negotiating power and that focus among a group of individual fighters. I, I think if you were going to look at a, a realistic issue when we talk about the management side of, of mixed martial arts in particular, and is it's very top-heavy with, you know, I mean, 
to me, the top two management companies are very are very clear to me. And whether you want to put them one, two, some people might have one at one, some people might two. I, right now, I mean, the, the top two management companies to me are, it's A, Dominance MMA. Of course, that's the agency run by Ali of Aziz. And the other one would be Iridium Sports Management. Which of course run by Jason House and um, you know Jason House. I think I mean I know he's over a hundred UFC fighters at this point. Um, you, you look at Tim Simpson, who, who's got some you know notable fighters as well. Used to be with Paradigm, now now started his own. Uh, Paradigm's one of the big one of uh, front row management or first round management down. You know, of course, run by the Kawa brothers. Um, I, I if I was going to say if you were going to put a criticism on the management side is there's just there's not. There's not a lot of options for fighters to get in business with people who've been doing this for a long time and understand how you work with the UFC, Bellator, PFL, one championship. Go down, go down the list of promotions. I, I think if, if there was a criticism, that to me would be the criticism is that as a fighter, there's just not a lot of options for you to choose from. Where like if you look at you know whether we're talking about you know NFL, MLB, NHL, there's much more options for those athletes to go to than mixed martial arts athletes. Why do you think managers aren't getting in the business, or why more managers aren't invading that top heavy portion of the sport? My guess is it's, it's it's the financial side of it, you know, of you, you know how much money you can make negotiating NFL contracts, NBA contracts, MLB contracts, NHL contracts, in terms of you know, look, you're, you're talking about getting a guy into the UFC that's making twelve and twelve, you know, and you know, and you you you're you know, there's a lot of management companies I know only charge ten percent now. I've seen others that charge fifteen or twenty percent, um, but to me, it's just. There, there's not a lot of money sitting there unless you have that main event fighter. That makes a lot of sense, right? If you have that skill set and you put in that time, you're going to do it to where you get more money. And if we're ranking sports where you get money for being an agent, mixed martial arts is going to be really low. Really, 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 really low, right? To imagine like working for a guy negotiating a deal and you get 10 to 15% of $12,000. As an agent, that's nothing. That's a $1,200. That's chump change. That's less than I'm making a paycheck. That I, Look, that $1,200 probably pays for your expenses to, to be with that fire during fight week. For reals. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, a lot of these problems in this sport are really tied to similar things, right? Like fighter pay. It touches so many different parts of the sport, right? You become a USC veteran fighter, you can really make a good living, right? You know, Kevin Holland made some good money on that mm-hmm. pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Green made some good money on that pay-per-view. But for those that are just entering the promotion, those are really the fighters that get screwed. And it touches all the other issues that we see in the sport. You know, you mentioned about the, the fighter pay, and, and that was a, a story that came out over the past couple of days. And, and I kind of wanted to bring this up. And of course it, it co- I initially saw this, uh, from Steven Morocco who put out this, uh, this tweet 
that was a statement from the Utah Commission where uh, it wrote, uh, the commission and the compelling athletes uh, at UFC 291 entered into confidential agreements as allowed by Utah Code. The athletes, as business confidential claimant under Utah Code, have expressed valid concerns regarding the public disclosure of the compensation amount in ballot agreements because public disclosure of their purse amounts will negatively affect their individual ability to negotiate compensation or purse amounts for future events. The UFC is a private organization and the athletes maintain their private business interests. The contracts or bout agreements are negotiated entered privately between the athlete and UFC. The commission also recognizes the unique nature of this industry and the short time frame that athletes have to compete in their fighting career, which is relatively short when compared with careers in other industries. Given the potential for a short career in this industry, the protected compensation amounts taken on give even more importance. Additionally, these athletes compete with one another before an event takes place to secure a position on the card at a particular event. For example, the public disclosure of an athlete's compensation amount paid at a previous event will severely impact that athlete's ability to negotiate compensation at a future event, and disclosure will put athletes at a competitive disadvantage to other athletes whose prior compensation amounts have not been publicly disclosed. Consequently, the commission recognizes the amount of compensation paid to athletes as trade secret or sensitive commercial or financial information that is non-public and protected under Utah Code. And then they put in the code there. And so I thought some interesting tweets I saw out there. One interesting tweet I thought came from Nolan King. And Nolan King, of course, a great reporter, works for MMA Junkie. He says, which commissions to close purses as most recent major events? Do California, Georgia, Ohio, New Mexico, North Carolina, Washington? Don't. Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Missouri, New York, New Jersey, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Tennessee. Fighter choice, Utah. And then I saw this tweet from John Morgan, and I really agree with what John Morgan says here. Litmus test for Utah's opt-in, opt-out policy on fight purse publication. If you stand against it, post your salary here, then complain all you want. It honestly seems like a fair approach to me. Let the athletes make the choice. Now, I will say this. I totally agree with what John Morgan said there, Daniel. The Utah statement. What the fuck did I just read? It, it's very, it, it's the definition of like BS. To me, it's BS. Like, again, I don't know if the Utah's just trying to get the new Apex built in Utah so UFC runs all their events there. You know, I, I read this statement and it's BS. The most interesting part of the statement is towards the end, I'll get to it. But the moral of the story is Utah, you can you can talk me into the idea that a personal a person may not want their pay disclosed for privacy reasons. Yeah. I can hear that. But what Utah's saying is that disclosing purses affects individuals' ability to negotiate competition or, or, or money. That to me is not true. And that to me is Utah just making it stuff the most interesting part of the of the thing and again most of this most of what they said is just them be like it's it's me in fifth grade trying to hit the word count on my essay right they're just like <laughs> the commission recognizes the unique nature of the industry and the short time frames that athletes have to compete in their fighting career that's so random why are you mentioning that it, yeah. it doesn't matter but 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 here's the most important part that I think this explains their logic of what they said earlier. They say 
they talk about how disclosing the amount will affect their ability to negotiate. And they say that that puts them at a competitive disadvantage to other fighters whose prior compensations haven't been disclosed. So that's the one part of the statement where I'm like, oh, there's actually an argument there. So what they're saying is if fighter A has his previous purse disclosed and fighter B does not, fighter A is at a disadvantage to fighter B. I still don't think that's true, but there's something there. What's what's ironic is, so this is what they're saying. They're saying if B isn't disclosed and A is disclosed and A is screwed. So they're not saying if A and B are both disclosed, A is screwed. What Utah is doing is creating more situations where B isn't disclosed and A is disclosed. So their whole logic is to get people on the same playing field, but it's a fighter choice situation to where there's going to be more scenarios of fighters persons not being disclosed on the same cards where some persons will be disclosed. So it's almost like the rule they set forward is going to create the problem that they see, a problem that I believe is BS, because as any employee will tell you, and I've said this before on the podcast, disclosure of pay brings up pay, Jason. If I go to work today and I go to the water cooler and I see someone who got hired after me with my same job and I say, hey, bro, what do you make? And he tells me he makes four more dollars per hour than me. I'm going to go become a richer man tomorrow because I'm going to go to my boss. I'm going to be like, hey, bro, let me have that. Here's the last thing. Here's my last point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I said this before. And I don't know where I saw this. And maybe it was just Reddit. It was probably just Reddit. But it's a good point. Boss left home for the weekend. Somebody needed to go on boss's desk. On boss's desk was everybody's salary. Uh-huh. The whole office after a week knew what everybody was making. When the boss came back from vacation, the whole office got a pay raise. Look, I, I see both sides of the story, okay? I, I remember having a conversation with a manager at one point, and their point to me was having the ability to see disclosed salaries, which we all know disclosed salaries don't always tell us the real story. But their point was, Jason, this gives gives us as an agency the ability to see what other fighters are making, and so it, it allows us when we're negotiating the contract to get you know a fair a fair market. But then the other side of it is, I look at it is if I am the athlete, you know, I'm John Smith fighting in the UFC. Do I want my salary out there to where everyone can see it? My answer would be no. So I, I see both sides of the equation. Yeah, yeah, there are two sides to that. And that second side, to me, isn't necessarily being represented in the logic of Utah. And Correct. That's the That, to me, is the major takeaway from this situation. Just working together and disclosing pay, I do believe, will, will rise the, the price that people can negotiate with. Because if a person is negotiating blind, they can't compare and contrast. So, yeah. Uh, again, to me, it's just a bunch of BS. And again, we will see more UFC events in Utah because if there's any person that benefits from fighter pay not getting disclosed, it's the UFC. That is who benefits from this.
And let's be real about it. the UFC has a business model right now that is a site fee business model where they're being paid to go to whether it's Salt Lake City or anywhere else. I mean, this is this is a model that's been around mixed martial arts and combat sports for a long time. I mean, you, you think about the Bjorn Rebney days and, and people would be like, hey, why did Bellator always go to Thackerville, Oklahoma? Because they were getting paid to go there. And, and and it's it's a business model in, in terms of mixed martial arts. But when you talk about the financial side of this sport, and we all know what's going on with Bellator right now, you know, at some point they're going to be sold. We'll, we'll see kind of, I mean, you were joking. I thought it was great before the show. Dan was like, hey, you know, the sell of Bellator will happen right after we finish the show one day. Oh, 100%. Guaranteed, lock it in. Whenever it happens, it's going to be whatever, like minutes, like, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to go to work and on the way to work. The news will be released. Yeah. 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 It, it, but you brought an interesting point because we all see what's going on in the landscape of college football with, you know, conference realignment. And we all know it's tied to money. And now if as a Florida state fan, I'm very aware of what's going on in Tallahassee. I mean, and, and there was a report last week that they're potentially looking at, private equity firms to kind of help this move to whether they go to the big 10, they go to the sec or whatever it may be. And you brought the point of like, could we see this happen in mixed martial arts? And I almost feel like we're, we are seeing this right now with what is going on with the sell of Bellator because everyone knows the PFL is trying to acquire money to be able to make this purchase. Yeah. So we're, what we're looking at is college football's landscape has changed. Are we going to see that in mixed martial arts? And I think very clearly PFL, Bellator, that's a major change in the landscape. And, you know, when we think of how college football is changing, maybe we think of the nostalgia that is changing, right? We're not going to see such history. And Bellator is a historic promotion. So I think that's one point. But you look at this college football landscape and you ask, why is this changing? And you can follow that thread to something that you can follow in our sport. And I feel like the thread of college football is changing and it's directly tied to these TV deals. You know, the Pac-12 yeah. negotiated a very bad situation for years. And that's why they disintegrated. And then they tried to get a Hail Mary pass done with this last TV deal and it didn't happen. So TV deals extends to mixed martial arts. You know, the, that's going to be what changes the landscape of this sport had Bellator had a better TV deal. They would not have been selling today. Mm -hmm. I agree. If PFL had a better TV deal, they would be making a, a bigger profit. Well, well, their TV deal expires at the end of this year. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. That could change everything. That's that's where the money comes from in this sport. That's why I felt like we talked about it, I don't know, a week, two weeks ago here on the podcast. That, to me, is why PFL needs to buy Bellator because they need to acquire that roster. You know, not not trying to to be negative about PFL, but the reality is Bellator, and, of course, Bellator's been around for much longer, they have a better and more deep roster. If you could incorporate that Bellator roster into the PFL and you can get a new deal with ESPN, but then this is this is where it sits to me. I believe the UFC deal with ESPN expires in 2025. If the PFL management is going to kind of do what they're doing, at some point, Dana White's going to fire back at you. Yeah. But 
What's interesting is who knows if Dane is going to – who knows if the UFC is going to stick with the ESPN, bro? Like like if Dana sticks with the ESPN, then yeah, he's going to fire back. He's not going to take much. I mean, he sees everything, and he holds grudges. But who knows if the UFC sticks with the – if ESPN sticks with the UFC. Because like UFC has been a, so valuable for ESPN+, Plus, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But, but, but ESPN and Disney – are in a state of flux. They spent a lot of money years ago on TV rights deals, and you've seen it with all the talent of people who have been fired. So the big variable in the UFC TV rights deal equation is not what UFC has to offer. It's just the state of flux with ESPN and Disney. They may be in a position where they just aren't in the buying sports properties that aren't the NFL, NBA, or MLB college football business. To me, if I was going to say where I think you could see the ESPN, excuse me, where you could see the UFC, if they're not on ESPN, I think it's Apple Plus. You you look at what they're doing, and, and I saw this the other day, and it blew my mind. Apple, in 2022, generated 394 billion in revenue wow i can't now, even process that two, 205 came from iphone sales 40 billion came from mac sales and 41 billion came from accessories and wearables and then 29 billion came from ipad sales i mean bro like that to me if there is going to be someone that is going to offer a mixed martial arts promotion and particularly the UFC a better deal I think it's Apple because clearly they are trying to get into the streaming business we've seen what they've done with their original programming and of course now uh, having the MLS package which by the way if you're not watching Messi is just making these people look like he's playing with five, fifth graders the way he's playing I know every single time he plays there's some magical goals well you bring up a good point Apple TV is probably going to be where it goes and when you look at the great landscape of streaming, those are the odds-on favorites to really succeed. Apple TV, Amazon Prime, because they can afford to fail for years. They can afford to lose money from the streaming because they make so much money from the other businesses. The ones that are screwed are like Peacock and all the other streamers where that is, that's where the pressure point is to make money off streaming versus Apple and Amazon can invest and invest and invest and eventually become profitable like Netflix. So that's a great call, Jason. It's just a matter of getting those eyeballs there because we always we do know subscriber counts are never going to go higher for cable. You know they're at a they're, I think they're in the seventy millions now, uh, but it's always decreasing as time goes on. People are making the transition, so it's going to be interesting to see which streamers become the commonplace Netflixes of the world. And I do think Apple TV and Amazon Prime are our odds-on favorites. You know, um, Apple TV just has a greater opportunity to just be a part of our lives because so many of us have iPhones. So it's so much easier for it to be on there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's funny. Elon Musk buys Twitter, wants to name it X. And he wants to call it, he wants it to be the place where we do banking and do all this crap, everything on X. But the thing is, it's never going to happen on X. I don't think it's going to happen on X. It can happen on Apple because everything's already here. 
already have my card in here. Already have you know all my contacts in here. Everything is here. What Elon Musk wants, it's on here already in my pocket with me at all times. I mean, just think about how many times you you buy something, you're on an app, and I can just use my Apple Pay. It just makes it easier. I could spend all the money on my bank account right now on this phone in the next minute. Oh, yes, right? very, very, very easily. <laughs> yes. I, I could immediately go. You could watch me go on debt in this podcast, right? Now, put, yeah. as a combat sports consumer, I hope PFL stays on ESPN because I have I already had that subscription. Like, if you tell me PFL goes to the zone, I'm sorry, PFL. I'm not buying his own subscription. Like, no, it's not happening. Like, it, like it, to me, it's one of these things, and, and we've talked about this for years. And the combat sports fan is nickel and dimed for every dollar we're willing to spend. I mean, like you just look at it last weekend. If if you wanted to take in all the combat sports action, you know, you, you had to have your ESPN. You know, it was on ESPN, so you had to either have ESPN Plus or or, or a standard you know cable or satellite you know, or streaming subscription to be able to watch it. You, of course, if you wanted to watch, um, you know, the PFL, obviously that was ESPN, ESPN plus, or and if you want to watch the, the Paul Diaz fight, it was pay-per-view. I mean, so it, it's just one of those things of it's, it's super expensive to be a combat sports fan. And, you know, I, I'm more and more believing that we ultimately see PFL and Bellator come together. I think the bigger question is what does it look like? Now, and, and like I've talked about on the show, I've had people in this industry tell me that they don't think that the two companies merging together is what's best long-term. That they what would rather they see, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, the Khan family is a is a, a group that gets brought up a lot, but I, I don't. I don't get the sense that they're wanting to get into the mixed martial arts industry, even though Shad Khan, he has FU money. When you when you own an uh, English Premier League team and an NFL team, bro, you have fu money. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's just a matter of does he care? And I, I I get the same sense as you. Is I haven't heard the cons talk about mixed martial arts, but yeah, Shad does have fu money. Um, yeah, and, and I, I would say that it's always healthier to have more options out there to have three major promotions in America versus two. That's just an additional place for fighters to negotiate contracts with, and and that does help the health of the sport. But it does seem inevitable that we're going to see some Bellator fighters in the PFL's next tournament. I mean, and it needs it, right? I mean, you look at the card we had in the semifinals of the playoffs, and, you know, it was a card that was lacking star power when I see it. I mean, yes, stars maybe were being made in San Antonio at PFL's card, right? Like, Maybe Josh Silvera at light heavyweight. Maybe that's a future story there. He could he has the name recognition in terms of Silvera. That's a historic name in mixed martial arts. And he's performing well. And that light heavyweight tournament has been good. But realistically, you look at PFL seven, and you know, the two names that jump out to you that are like established PFL names, and neither one of them are big stars, is like Bubba Jenkins and Chris Wade. So clearly, PFL needs an infusion of Bellator talent. Yeah, I mean, if you when if we would have sat here back at the beginning of the PFL season, and I said the featherweight final will be Gabriel Braga and Jesus Pinedo, you would have been like, "Bro, what are you on?" 
I know that was – did not see Pinedo in the finals. I mean, dude misses way, gets a point deducted, and, bro, he beats Jenkins bad. I mean, yes, had you told me Pinedo's just going to stand with Jenkins the whole time, he's going to, you know – okay, yeah, he's going to win. But I thought Bump was going to put him on his back and dominate. No, yeah. no, no, no. Pinedo dominated Jenkins, and now we get the rematch no one was interested in, not because the first fight was boring, just because no one watched the first fight, but – Braga Pineda, let's go. Who's going to win the PFL featherweight tournament? Braga looked good against Chris Wade. It was a relatively close fight. And then light heavyweights, Silvera, Ipacasagane. So far, the light heavyweight tournament has been our favorite tournament just because we've had more finishes in both Silvera and Kasagane. Um, you know, they've been entertaining. So I think Impa, Silvera, will get ourselves the first round finish in the light heavyweight final. I, I did see, uh, I want to say it was Amy Kaplan brought up the point, because of, of how much these two guys have gone back and forth, that maybe uh, in the, uh, the the season finale of PFL this year, put Bubba Jenkins and Chris Wade up against each other. And of course, uh, Josh Silveria, Impa Kasagni over a light heavyweight. And every time, like, as I look at this bracket here, and I just look at Josh Silveria, I'm thinking, this guy is one fight away from a million-dollar paycheck. If he was in the UFC... <laughs> What's he making? Fifteen and fifteen? Yeah. As yeah, in fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand? Like like yeah. that's the thing. Like, if you're a younger fighter and you have the ability to go on the PFL Challenger series, even though there, there's some things out there contractually that may not be the best. But if you can find your way into the season, like you're Josh Severia, you got a chance to have seven figures in your bank account. And God knows how long that would take for you to get seven figures in your bank account if you were in an organization not named the PFL. Yeah, man. And he's going to have the rest of his career to make the jump to the UFC and compete in the UFC. But if you're a really talented fighter and you have that confidence that you can win a PFL tournament, it's a great way to kickstart your career. Do a PFL tournament. Get that money. Get that bag. When you go and you pay for a meal – they don't ask you if you made that money in the UFC or PFL. They just care that it's money. And at the end of the day, if Silvera wins that tournament, he's going to have a lot more money in his bank account than a significant portion of people who fight in the UFC. Now, I mean, just looking ahead at the PFL, um, to me, the PFL event uh, that intrigues me in terms of, of this opening round of the playoffs, to me, is that fight card on August 23rd in New York with the lightweights and welterweights, Clay Collard versus Shane Burgos. Of course, we all know kind of how that, that came together. Uh, and Olivia Aubin-Mercier against Bruno Miranda. And then you got the welterweights on the other side. You got uh, Karamov taking on Umovov. Also, Lee taking on your boy, Sabadu C. Who, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you've taken that complete turtle, Sabadu C. Most exciting fighter in the sport, <laughs> Sabadu C. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about where uh, the thought process people had about Sabadu C nine months ago and the thought process they have on him now. Yeah, who knows? I mean, he might go back to his old self now that he's in the playoffs, but we'll see. Yeah. But I mean, look, I, I, I think at this point, I would be more surprised if PFL doesn't acquire Bellator at this point. Because, I mean, I know there's other suitors out there, and, um, you know, it looks like Bellator is going to do an event in October, which is going to be Bellator 300. Maybe it's the last Bellator event. Um, you, you just, I, I think at the end of it, you just hope this works out for the fighters. And also, I guess where I feel bad for is, man, there's going to be a lot of Bellator employees that lose their job. Yeah, that's going to be the negative side of this. 
Yeah, that's just always a negative side and, of acquisitions. Here's, and here's the other side of it. How many Bellator fighters find themselves getting released because they don't want to carry a roster that deep? Yeah, you know, that's going to happen. That's going to happen because financially, I'm sure they have budgets. And I'm sure it doesn't make sense to add the entire roster and add the entire staff within the framework of the budget they have. I mean, that's literally just doubling the expense and maybe even more so. So, yeah, absolutely. That's the negative of acquisitions and mergers is a lot of people get tossed by the wayside like a ship that's going overboard. Uh, of course, uh, last weekend in combat sports, of course, we had, you know, we mentioned about the PFL event, uh, but also you had UFC Nashville and of course the Jake Paul, Nate Diaz fight, UFC Nashville, uh, you know, not, not, not a great main event. People don't want to necessarily go back oh. and watch that thing more than once. Um, I mean, look, Corey Sanhagen did what he had to do with the injury that he had, uh, wish him a, a well recovery. Tatiana Suarez, man, she looked great against Jessica Andrade going out there and doing what she did. I mean, really probably puts herself if not her next fight's a title fight, maybe, you know, clearly it has to be a number one contender fight there. Jake Paul goes out there and gets a, the win against Nate Diaz and Jake Paul, Conor McGregor going at it on social media. That was, uh, I woke up and saw that, that, uh, those screenshots. That's probably where we're heading, honestly. Like that's probably going to be the very, like that's probably going to be the next big Jake Paul fight. Here's my thing is I wonder, in terms of the mixed martial arts community, how much of, of an appetite is there in seeing Jake Paul in an MMA fight in the PFL? That's the thing I keep thinking about. Like, Obviously, Jake Paul's one of the biggest names in combat sports. I, I think you can't deny that. Uh, but I do wonder, like, is there truly an appetite that people want to see him or has that aura of Jake Paul really started to take a decline? I think it's certainly taken a decline. The Diaz-Paul fight was big, but had the Diaz-Paul fight happened at the same time when Diaz, when Paul fought Askren, it would have been a lot bigger. I think people are just, they've seen the Jake-Paul situation, and it's still a big deal, but to me, clearly things have weaned off a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, I still think people are going to watch. But I think another part of the situation is Jake Paul is just a lot more likable than when he first started doing this thing. So, like, a mixed martial arts fan is paying money to watch an MMA fighter beat Jake Paul. That's kind of been the conceit for a long time. They wanted to see Woodley knock him out. They wanted to see Askren embarrass him. They wanted to see Anderson beat him. But Jake has become more likable. Less and less people want to see him fall flat on his face now. And that was kind of the draw. And that is the draw for an MMA fight against Nate Diaz is I'm going to spend money to watch Jake Paul get humbled. And I think the story of Jake has changed. As he's defended UFC fighters, or maybe the best way to put it is as he's attacked Dana. He's more attacking Dana than defending UFC fighters. Yeah, correct. As he's done that, he's become more positively looked upon amongst mixed martial arts fighters. He's also gained respect with his boxing performances. So I feel like there's just less appetite to see Jake Paul get embarrassed. All that being said, Jason, it's still the biggest fight that PFL can put on. I mean, look, he's obviously going to be on that pay-per-view. I mean, we'll, we'll see who they can put up against him. Um, 
I thought Nate Diaz really made it very clear that, yeah, we can do that MMA fight, but it ain't happening in the PFL. It's going to be a co-promotion event. Now, now does the PFL maybe want to put that deal together? Who knows? I mean, but it's, it's just it's one of those things that it just made me think about how much of an appetite uh, there is for that. I mean, like, look, Corey Sanhagen, I mean, he went out there and he did what he had to do. And I know as a combat sports fan, we, we wish it was exciting to watch, but, like, he did what he had to do. I mean, like, it's kind of hard for me to blame when he's out there with a bad wing. Exactly. Against Ralph Bont, one of the most dangerous bantamweights on the planet. Uh, can't blame him for it. I Like, the fight sucked. It, it is what it is. It was just him wrestling him the whole time. It was an OG throwback to John Fitch. That's all I could think about was, damn, this is a John Fitch fight right here. I bet John yeah. Fitch is so happy. John Fitch is the one person in the world that, that's just got, you know, Super pumped for this fight. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah, Oh, head position. Good job. Like, that's exciting. But, you know, good, good job out of San Hagen for getting the win. I think it's a it's a fight where he maintains his run of wins, but it doesn't do much for him when it comes to fighting for a title. Dana isn't going to look at that performance and reward him. That's just how it works in the UFC. If you perform like that, you aren't going to get a big fight next. You're just going to stay in a holding pattern for where you were before. Um Otherwise, the Nashville card was very entertaining. It was just the main event sucked. But if you go up and down that main card, there were plenty of great performances and even some good ones in the prelims. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, look, it's, I'm not going to rail on Corey Sanhagen. I, I get the frustration as fans because, I mean, look, you know, you, you sit in front of your television set on a Saturday night, you want to see some bomb ass fights. You know, but when you, when you have that injury that he had, I, I seriously can't blame him. I mean, you know, I mentioned about Tatiana Suarez. You know, to me, that that's really the other big storyline with this one. And it, it, to me, it just becomes that question of, is it a number one contender fight or does she get the winner of the upcoming title fight? You could go either way. She comes across like a star to me. And yeah. she performs like that too. The other thing, the flip side is Jessica Andrade is really not looking good lately. I mean, Oof. she's lost three straight fights. But she's also fought three really good fighters in Suarez and Jan and Blanchfield. But it's the way she lost to Blanchfield where she got outstruck, where it just seemed like maybe a long career is starting to really have an effect on Andrade. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been finished in her last three fights, all within two rounds. And this is a former champion, one of the best fighters in this, you know, in <laughs> women's MMA history. You know, she's like top 15 all time. Dude, she's only 31 years old. Yeah, that's crazy to think about because, like, I feel like she's been a part of our lives for almost a decade at this point. And when I when I go and I look at it, you know, her first UFC fight was in 2013. So it has been 10 years. So she started off, she was probably 21, 22 when she fought Liz Carmouche, bro. And the thing about Andrade is she's, like, been very active throughout her entire career, bro. Like, you go throughout her entire career – Pretty much every year, she's fighting like three times at the very least. At the very least. There's a couple years where it's just twice. She's already fought three times this year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And she's fought three tough opponents. So, you know, maybe the best part for Andrade, you know, maybe it's just over, right? Maybe it's just she's had 10 years and she's had wars. She's been a champion. And it's time to think about what's next. Maybe – She's just fought three absolute killers, and she needs to take a step back and reevaluate her game 
and get on another run. Um, but in terms of the rest of that car, Jason, I mean, look, I think there are two fighter, three fighters that really stick out to me. Uh, Diego Lopez, you know, comes back, takes on Gavin Tucker, easily taps him out. You know, Diego lost his UFC debut, but impressed in that fight. Mm-hmm. And, and and the coach of Adanya and the coach of Grasso looked good there. Asu Almabayev at flyweight, bro. That dude looked absolutely like yeah. a stud, Muffin. I mean, holy crap. That is a flyweight to keep an eye on. And the last one, Billy Q performed incredibly well in an awesome fight against Damon Jackson. Yeah, that was a great fight. People want to go back and watch that. Of course, uh, Billy Q, a, a guy here from, uh, from you know, we live about 10 minutes away from each other. So, uh, you know, always, always rooting there for, for Billy. But of course, uh, you, we, we talk about this week's mixed martial arts acts. We got a ton. We got, we got MMA tonight, Daniel. We got the season debut of Dana White's contender series. And on Friday, we have Bellator 298, which, um, true story. I didn't realize we had a Bellator event this week until I got the press release. I was like, oh, that's this week? Oh, okay. Uh, then, of course, on Saturday, you got the uh, UFC fight night card there in Vegas. Uh, looking at this contender series matchup uh, tonight, uh, the main event, uh, Cesar Almeida is in the main event, and this is something you normally don't see on the contender series, and that's a 35-year-old fighter, of course. He's got a kickboxing pedigree. He's uh, fought Alex Bahia twice, or excuse me, three times. Uh, he is one and two against Alex Bahia there uh, in uh, kickboxing. Now, when you look at his uh, mixed martial arts um, strength of schedule, not very good. Uh, his first MMA fight um, was in 2016. Uh, that was his pro debut when it gets uh, someone else. So his pro debut, uh, but then he had his next MMA fight in 2021 against uh, Fire in a pro debut. And then his third fight at the time he took on Danilo Souza. At that time, Danilo Souza was five and twenty-eight and one. Danilo Souza is now six thirty-one and one. So not great strength of competition, mixed martial arts, and, and taking on Lucas Fernando, a fellow Brazilian who is nine and one, uh, has uh, been most recently competing in LFA. Uh, so you know tonight, uh, I'm actually going to be in the office here late tonight, so I'll have that up on the television. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch in the morning, see what happens. I always enjoy the Contender Series, and I'm glad we're back in the Contender Series season. And, you know, there are so many great fighters that have come through the Contender Series, so it's important to keep an eye on. See if Cesar Almeida will be the next Alex Perea, or someone like Victor Diaz in that flyweight matchup will be a star, or whomever. So count me in. And you have Tracy Cortez's brother, uh, Reyes Cortez, uh, a part of this fight card as well. So I'll be looking forward to uh, watching. I mean, it's always fun to kind of watch those uh, the, the contender series. And, you know, for the most part, I think the, the, the fight cards go pretty fast there. Of course, when you talk about the Bellator event coming up here on Friday night, it is going to be headlined by a key matchup in the welterweight division. Of course, we'll kind of see where this kind of goes here in terms of, of the Bellator welterweight division. But you got Logan Story taking on Brent Ward. Uh, Brent Ward, obviously. Obviously, you know, coming back here, I mean, he has that wrestling base. The key is going to be whether he can keep that fight. If he can keep the fight on the feet, man, that's going to be an interesting one. But this is, like, when you talk about 
Bellator, to me, has done a very good job uh, of putting together a nice fight card coming up on Friday night. You got Mondowski and Maori, key matchup there in the heavyweight division. Uh, Rasta and Jeffries on this card. We got the return of James Gallagher, uh, Sydney Outlaw, the return of him as well after coming off that suspension, taking on uh, Maidov. Uh, Lucas Brin, an undefeated prospect. He's on the prelims. I mean, there, there's some fights on this one, even on the prelims, like Barboza, uh, Enrique Barzola, and Jalon Bates, I think, is, is an excellent fight on the prelims. Uh, you also, uh, Leandro Higos all, all the way down the prelims. And of course you got the MMA debut of Jordan Oliver as well. So I think, but I will not be able to watch this fight card live because, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be having my Buccaneer broadcast, but I think Bellator has done a nice job here, put this card in, in South Dakota. And I will tell you, I mean, I, I gotta see if there's some odds on the main event here, because I, if I was going to place a bet, I would like look at placing a bet. Oof, Brandon Ward is a plus two thirty five betting underdog. I would take a stab there at uh, at Brandon Ward. Uh, James Gallagher minus one thirty. I think he should win that matchup, but uh, you know it's been a long time since we've seen him. Yeah, this is a big night for James Gallagher. I mean. He, since he's been gone for so long, people have just kind of forgotten about him. And he's a guy who had a lot of momentum, a lot of buzz. And, you know, last time out, we saw him lose to Apache Mix in 2021. So it's a very important fight. This is going to let us know, is James Gallagher going to be a fighter we're going to be talking about these next couple of years or not? This is it against James yeah. Gonzalez in South Dakota. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just been such a long time. But, like, you know, you look at uh, how does Sullivan Coley bounce back? That, that's another one, a part of this card. Uh, Elon Cruz, which is a, a Tampa fighter, you know, I'll be interested to kind of see what he can do. Uh, but uh, overall, I think it's a really nice Bellator card coming up on Friday night. Then, of course, on Saturday, we got UFC Fight Night, Vicente Luque versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Of course, first time we've seen Vicente Luque. He had to go in front of the commission to get medically cleared. A lot, of, I, a lot of questions in, in, in relation to that, taking on RDA. RDA is still doing this thing at 38 uh, years old. Uh, Cub Swanson, Akeem Dowdu. I think that's a nice little co-main event there uh, with uh, Swanson, of course, a longtime veteran. Uh, Chris Dawkins moving down to 205 pounds. What does he look like at 205 pounds? Uh, taking on Khalil Roundtree as well. Uh, you know, some other, uh, looking at the rest of this fight card, Interesting what Marcus McGee looks like. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he won his UFC debut, stepping off on, on short notice, taking on JP Bays uh, in this one. Uh, other ones that, that stick out to me, uh, Brady Heastand, a uh, guy I've had a chance to talk to uh, in the past as well. Isaac Dolgarian finally making his UFC debut. It has been a long time for him to get to this spot. Yeah, man. Um, I guess, yeah, I think the thing I'm thinking about the most is probably Luke the fact that he had a brain bleeding, had to be suspended for a year, uh, it's scary. It's a scary thing. And, you know, I'm just trusting the commission doing the right thing, and he's all right yeah. to compete. That's where my trust is. But bleeding of the brain is like – it's probably the scariest thing we can talk about when we talk about fighter injuries because that yeah. in the history of boxing – that's the one thing that has led to some, some just some of the worst days in the sports history. So that is scary. That is scary. Uh, but I, but you know, I, I look at professional wrestling. And there's a guy named Kasaori Ishibata who had a really bad brain hemorrhage. He was in the hospital for a long time uh -huh. and thought he might die, but definitely never wrestle again. And now he's wrestling. It's been years, and everything's fine. 
So I'm praying for Vicente, and I hope he has a fun night against RDA. Um, I, you know, this fight card to me is a little better than your average Apex card. It's not a great card by any means, but there are plenty of things that I'm excited for. Um, I think Roundtree Dacus, I, I just hope that one stays standing. I, I'm looking forward to that. Swanson Dawudu is my fight that I'm looking forward to the most, bro. I mean, I, I love Swanson so much. I don't think Hakeem's going to have a fun one with him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it all leads into the pay-per-view next week, which uh, I, do, I do not expect to be able to watch that thing live just because uh, I'll be up in uh, New York, New Jersey. and uh, But, of course, you got Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Of course, I saw Aljo at his comments uh, about uh, the performance there by, by uh, Corey Sanhagen. Of course, Aljo was there in Tennessee. I know he was uh, courting some fighters on Friday. Um, and then, he had, of course, his teammate was on the card on Saturday taking on Sean O'Malley. And, uh, of course, you got uh, Man Lamos uh, challenging Zhang Wale. Lee for the title, Jeff Neal, Ian Gary's on that card, Garbrandt, Batista, Marlon Vera, Pedro Munoz. I mean, we got the return of Chris Weidman coming up on that one. Also, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, the Ultimate Fire finale is going to be a part of the prelims of this one. Um, Austin Hubbard, I I did an interview. I'm going to put that interview out here later on today. Uh, of course, we're going to find out who he's going to take. Of course, also Prakatona. And and I when I did the interview with Austin, I actually I've probably watched more of this season of the Ultimate Fire than I have in ten years. What's been your big takeaway from this season? It's just it's the Conor McGregor show. I mean, it, 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 to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like so much of the focus of the production has been about Conor McGregor, not necessarily about the actual fires on the card. No, you're probably right, and I can understand why they made that choice. But yeah. So it hasn't been lighting your world on fire, is what you're saying? No, I mean, I mean, look, the the Hubbard uh, Roosevelt Roberts fight in the um, in the semis was not a fun fight at all. But I think it was also a problem is they were teammates on the show and they were training on the daily together and they knew each other's tricks. So you know, it's kind of wasn't you know, but uh, you know, I mean, I see all the stuff with Connor and. I, don't know, I just I just feel bad for Chandler. I, I just I, I feel like I I I hope Chandler got a good payday to do the ultimate fire because I just ultimately feel that at the end of the day, he's not gonna get the Connor fight. That they're going yeah. to go in a different direction. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. It's uh it seems inevitable. It seems like the bloom is off the rose with the idea of that one happening. And now Chandler's just hopefully the UFC took care of him. Usually they do take care of their top guys. It's it's the lower level guys where you got to worry about that financially. I, I, my thing is I don't know if if Chandler doesn't get the Connor fight, I don't know who's going to fight. You know, I mean, does Nate Diaz come back to the UFC? And then I think if you if Nate came back to the UFC, obviously there's a trilogy match with the Connor. I think also there's a, a an interesting fight with Dustin Poirier as well. I mean, I just, I, I look at Chandler and I'm just like, man, this guy is just getting F right now. And he's sitting and waiting. I mean, I, I, I will say this, that the, the barrage of tweets between Jake Paul and, and Connor, I, I did, I did chuckle when Jake Paul's like, Hey, how about you go get a USADA tested? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Connor's reputation now is he's been cheating. He's been doing performance enhancing drugs, but I mean, yeah, I mean, for Chandler, maybe a fight against Raphael Fiziev is what's next, which just represents yeah. a massive downgrade in financial pay and a massive upgrade in terms of this guy's a killer. 
you also got to think, man, the UFC, there's got to be a point where they're sitting there going, man, like we're, we're, we're trying to potentially maybe get that last payday of a Connor pay-per-view. And I mean, obviously it's, it's not going to happen in 2023 or at least it doesn't seem likely it's going to happen in 2023. I mean, his manager, Audio Tar, has already kind of come out and talked about 2024. And I mean, he just. I would just say, I think if you were any UFC lightweight or welterweight, you want to get Connor right now. Because God knows what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Also, maybe I'd get him whenever he's off the gas. But either way, either way, I don't, I just feel like Connor's focus isn't there. And he's going to be susceptible to a loss in his whenever he does return, if he does. Like, if I said Conor McGregor, MMA fights the rest of his career. I set the number at one and a half. Do you go over? I, over. Over. All right, two and a half. Over. Got to go really? over. Yeah, I just – it's because, like, the history of the sport is people just keep on fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. I mean – You, you know why just, I would go less yeah. on those numbers? Why? The away from fighting things. Yeah, yeah, that could really put him in a bad spot. I mean, for sure. But the other thing is, like, the people he does business with have by and large ignored those things. But maybe something he does so bad puts them in a position where they can't even make a call. So there is that aspect of it. But, I mean, yeah, I just I just assume he's going to fight. I mean, look, twice. the guy made a crap ton of money in selling proper um, 12 whiskey, a crap ton of money. You know, yeah. he's he's an ambassador. But I mean, I think he has a very small ownership stake at this point. But I heard the number that proper 12 sold for. I couldn't believe it because I was like, that's a well whiskey. <laughs> yeah, man. But that's marketing. That's what marketing will do for you, bro. I, I can't tell marketing. you, man. You know, I, I mean. I can't tell you the last time I've heard someone said, hey, can I get a proper 12 and Coke? Yeah, <laughs> you don't hear that. <laughs> That's, you hear, hey, give me a Jack and Coke. Give me a Crown and Coke. You, you don't hear. Give me, hey, give me a proper 12 and Coke. Yeah, same here. I don't know anyone who loves proper 12. I've I've tasted proper 12 once. And just did it, you know, right when it came to the bar. I was like, oh, let me let me see what this tastes like. I was like, eh, would not be a whiskey. I, if I'm going to have a whiskey, I'm, I'm going to have a Jack Daniels. Yeah, same here, same here. I think it's all marketing. It's all, oh, that's Connor's whiskey. Let me try it one time. It's like, uh, give me a Jack, you know, give me a Jack. Give me something I like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if I'm if I'm going to drink liquor, it's going to be a Jack Daniels. I'm like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, Captain Coke every once in a while, maybe. But yeah. you know, if I'm going, going going the rum aspect, but you know, back in the day, I used to drink vodka a lot. Oof, those were the days, huh? Oh, dude, uh, me, me and my boy Chris talk about this all the time. We, we're hearing radio. So this is, you know, late 2000s. I mean, I was, well, I was in radio from 2002 to 2012, terrestrial radio, and we would do club gigs. And uh, the go-to shot back in those days with uh, the crew was Jaeger bombs. You could not pay me. Okay, well, you could. There, there's <laughs> enough money. But if you sat there and said, hey, let's do a, a Jaeger bomb, Nope. No, I, I literally, it was a couple weeks ago. I was out with some buddies and uh, who are who are in the bar industry, 
And they're like, hey, let's do a shot. I was like, all right, well, you want to do a shot? Of? They go, yeah, you're going to go, nope. I go, like, nope. I, nope. I've done my tour of duty. Oh, dude. <laughs> There's days I go, how the hell did I, yeah. I would, dude, give me a tequila shot. Anything like that, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if I do a shot, more, more, it's most likely it would be a tequila shot. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you've learned a lot through your life so far, man. So you know how to go to the bar. You're that veteran quarterback now and you go to the bar. You know what routes you like. You know what receivers you want to throw to. You know, you're not look, taking a chance. Look, I'm a creature of habit, bro. Creature of habit. You know, I drink, you know, there's two beers I drink. And there's, you know, when it comes to liquor, there's it's Jack Daniels. Hey man, same here. I'm a creature of habit. I think if you uh, look at my next 30 birthdays, you might see me order 30 meals of wings. I'm a creature of habit, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I there was a couple weeks ago. I tried the Stone Cold Lager. Uh huh. wasn't wasn't big on it. I'm gonna have to give it a try. I haven't seen it, but obviously, you know, I love wrestling and I love Stone Cold. And I mean, I don't. I'm not a big fan. It's an IPA, right? Uh, no, they had, well, well oh. there's two, there's two different ones. There's an IPA, which I'm not an IPA guy. I just, Me neither. Yeah. uh, but he has a, a lager. It's, it was all right. I mean, it, it's not, it's something I could drink every once in a while, but like, mm-hmm. it would not be like, you know, Hey, I'm going to drink this on red. Like, I remember like there was a time I was like, I tried to find a six pack and you just couldn't find them. Yeah. I could I can't find them where I'm at. Uh, that's, that's actually surprising. I would think that in Texas it would be much more readily available yeah maybe in some of the neighboring cities that are really close to me they're there but my local liquor stores in my city because where i live it's just a bunch of cities next to each other so i live in harlingen Uh and there i have yet to find stone cold spear but i'm sure maybe in mccallum which is a little bit of a bigger city maybe it's there but uh, i'm sure in austin houston san antonio dallas there's all over the place i just don't think they've shipped them down here so uh, we got any wrestling matches this weekend? Yeah, it's a it's a heavy weekend. Heavy weekend. I got one tomorrow. Tag team match. If you're a fan of WWE, uh, a guy who used to manage Alberto Del Rio. His name was Ricardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's coming down to wrestle. Uh, oh, okay. On that show, in fact, he's staying with me, so I'm pretty excited for that. Um, the, so he's going to wrestle tomorrow on the show, and then on Thursday he's going to teach us, uh, give us a little seminar. That's going to be awesome. And then Saturday and Sunday, I also have matches locally. So got three match weekend. Last week, uh, I went to Laredo, um, did my match, set up for a Laredo street fight whenever I come back. And I turned 28 as I was driving in the middle of nowhere back from Laredo and couldn't be happier doing what I'm doing, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. My, my weekend is, uh, you know, Bucks game on Friday and then uh, Saturday. I think, I, think, uh, I think I'm going to relax, man, and uh, watch the yeah, UFC. Football. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure probably during the day I'll, I'll try to catch up on, on the Bellator card. Hopefully it's on the Paramount Plus app on Showtime. Sometimes it's kind of hard to find. Uh, you know, come on. Come on, Bellator. I, I, you know, give me, give me access. We want me to put those rankings in there. And, uh, and then Sunday I got, a, I got my buddy's birthday party. So uh, that's, that's going to be uh, my, my weekend. Hell yeah, my brother. Well, hey, man, be safe. 
we'll do this do this crap next week and by god we got ourselves a damn pay-per-view to dig into next week yeah look look forward to to touching that one next week of course as always we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the mma report podcast